Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Lios Enchim Anyavu. Greetings, everyone. May the Creator bless you all. And welcome to my podcast, The Good Do E Medicine Podcast. I'll be your host, Pete Rodriguez. All right, everyone, welcome to the podcast. This is going to be episode number 10, where we talk about our recent trip to Loma de Bakum. And thank you, Choco Tesia, for everyone that tuned into the podcast so far and has subscribed. I'm really excited. I have some really good news. We're getting a lot of good feedback on the podcast. And actually, it was noticed by one of our local papers here in Tucson. And they contacted me the other day and they want to do a story on the podcast. So that's going to be really cool and exciting. So hopefully I'll share that with you and uh, I'll probably share the link to the story and the article when they, when and if they do it. So I'm hoping and I'm grateful that they uh, even listen and, and check out the podcast. So I sent them a leak. So hopefully they'll be in contact with me and uh, I'll share that with you when and if that does happen, but I'm positive and I think it will. So that's going to be exciting for the podcast and all of the listeners as well. So like I said, this story, I mean, this uh, podcast is going to be about our recent trip to Loma de Bakum, which is an annual pilgrimage that the Yaqui people take to a one of the original villages. It's located in Sonora, Mexico right near the Rio Yaqui, as well as all like the other villages are. And every year, the Yaqui people take a pilgrimage to Loma for the Fiesta de la Virgen del Camino. That's what the fiesta is called. And um, so in this episode, we'll take you on a journey from Tucson to Loma de Bacum. And I also want to include Guadalupe. We had a lot of um, community members from Guadalupe that took the trip with us. And you'll hear firsthand stories from our tour guides and our, maybe we'll get a song. There was a song sung to us on the trip back by one of our tour guides. And hopefully we can play that on here as well. But first we want to start with the road trip, what we did and how it was like. So we'll get right into that. So early in the morning on June, I believe it was around June 30th, we, uh, I woke up super early. I woke up around 5 o'clock in the morning to catch our tour bus, which uh, departed here Tucson around 6.30 or 7 a.m. So we ought to wake up super early and greet the sun early in the morning. The tour bus first started in Guadalupe, Arizona, where they picked up the community members there. And they had to wake up even earlier than us. And then it made its way down here to Tucson, Arizona and got here around, I think it was around 6 a.m. It was really early in the morning. And we all started loading all of our luggage, our lawn chairs. We were advised to bring at least um, some lawn chairs with us, some water. There was plenty of water for us by um, the trip organizers. So we had plenty of water, you know, for just in case, also for safety, uh, to drink our own water there in, uh, in Sonora. So we loaded the bus 
all of our suitcases, all of our lawn chairs, all of our 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 coolers full of uh, drinks and things, everything we needed for the trip, and especially hats because it's going to be really hot there, and some sunblock, and we were on our way from Guadalupe and Tucson. And this is going to be the first time I can remember in a long while that I've ever rode in a in a type of bus, like a Greyhound bus, for that many hours. And it was a really, really memorable adventure. So everyone loaded on the bus early in the morning, and we headed down um, the road here on Valencia to catch the interstate, Interstate 19. And Interstate 19 goes straight south and takes us to the border, to the town of Nogales. I do want to say that first and foremost, this is a pilgrimage, and a pilgrimage is a sacramental, according to Father Seraphine, who is the father here for the church here in Tucson, Arizona, on the reservation. And Father Seraphine, he did let, lead us in prayer every morning on our pilgrimage, which which was really special. I really enjoyed that. Uh, we read the rosary pretty much every morning as we departed on our journey on the road. So the bus makes its way down Interstate 19 towards Nogales and the international border. Our group did share many stories on the bus to pass the time away and, you know, to connect with each other. And I was lucky enough to grab my cell phone to record some of the stories, which I'll share with you on this episode. And um, my cell phone, it didn't record very well but the quality is pretty decent so i'll try to um um, fix the audio and share it with you here so as we made our way down interstate 19 on the first day father seraphine who is from filipino descent tells us a story about the yaquis that were shipped um, to the philippines during the attempted um, genocide of the yaquis in mexico during the mexican wars there was one general he stated that uh, that he couldn't defeat some of the the Yaquis during the war, and so he captured them instead and shipped them to the first furthest places that um, Spain had colonized during that time. And two of the places that he mentions, and you can look this up in um, um history or Google it. One of the places is in Africa. A lot of the Yaquis that could not be defeated were shipped over to Morocco. In Africa and another furthest location were the Philippines he tells a story about the Yaquis in the in the Philippines that were shipped over to that area during the Mexican Wars and I'm gonna let him talk about that story himself they called us also Indios but when they got to where is Hawaii now Micronesia now they call them laturones. Because, yeah, because when they disembark in those little islands there in the Pacific, the people there, they say in their history books, that the people went aboard their ships and they took some of the, their belongings. So they call them laturones. In about the Philippines was under Spain also from 1561 up to 1899. And then the U.S. came and took over the Philippines from 1899 
to 1945. And so the, the Filipinos, like me, are wounded people too by so many colonizers. But about 1700 in the history books in the Philippines, they say that there were Aztecas who were exiled to the Philippines. They called them Aztecas, Indios Aztecas. Later on, they would find out that they were really Yaquis. Could you imagine that? That Yaquis were in the Philippines as early as 1700, 1750. The reason for that was that they were conquering them here. Here, right here, right? And they could not conquer one guy whose name was Nakabeba. <laughs> I asked Tranquilino, Tranquilino who is my tío. Is Nakabeba a Yaki name? And it says, sure, it means one with a nose, a big nose. But then also in my studies, because I, I really researched into this, and I found out in the notebooks of Padre Andres, who was a Jesuit priest who had a notebook. And in that book, in that notebook of his, which is now translated into English, he is talking about this man, a chief soldier named Nakabeba. So they could not, they could not make him surrender, right? It's Nakabeba. And so he and all his soldiers were exiled to the Philippines, which was the farthest colony of Spain. When they got there, they put them in one, uh, like a pueblo, which now is called Macabebe. That's the name of the town in the Philippines, Macabebe. But there is a controversy over that because the word Macabebe is also a local dialect that means seashore. And actually the town in Pampanga is really on the seashore. One other thing, you probably have seen on TV that during Holy Week, the people in Pampanga, Makabebe, they crucify people in the Philippines, right? That is the only part of the Philippines that does that. And I was asking Robert, is there a possibility that if and when they came there to the Philippines, they may have started really all the practices that that particular province have, like singing in a Ramada. So they put up also like our Ramadas in Tucson, you know, like posts and then fill it with grass roof and inside those ramadas they would be singing passion until now and then they have this crucifixion things so it was it, it's as if 
not doing the full uh, ceremonies that we have now here here in Mexico as well as in Arizona and wherever they are found yakis are found they did a little uh what you would call something that had to do it's probably like an enculturation of of the ceremonies in the Philippines so 1700 there were already and the, the last time Robert and I were talking he told me well do you know that the Yaquis were also in Morocco in Africa but and the way that the Yaquis went there to Africa was also the same thing they were rounded up here in Mexico and brought to Morocco as slaves sold the slaves there because Morocco had always been a slave trading post for the Europeans. All right, that's a wonderful story. I love hearing that story by Father Serafin as he told it as we were made our journey down Interstate 19 towards Nogales. I love hearing that story that we had of relatives in the Philippines as early as the 1700s. We had Yaquis there and also as far east as Africa and Morocco. It'd be wonderful to visit those locations one day. I would love to visit Morocco. And it's really, really love that story um, that Father Seraphim told. And I researched a little bit, and Makabebe is a town in Papanga, a little country there in the Philippines. And I read further that they are indeed the people from Makabebe are descendants of the Yaquis people from Mexico. They were shipped there, as Father Seraphine said, during that time, the 1700s. And it was surprised to also read that some of the older elders around that area did speak the Yaqui language. It's really interesting. And maybe they still do. I'm not sure. I'll have to research some more. But some of the native people do uh, speak some of that uh, Yaqui language and practice some of those traditions that are common to the Aztec and the or the Yaqui Aztec culture, like the Ramadas, the crucifixions and things. It's really, really, really interesting to read if you want to research more about the the people uh, in that town called Macapebe in Papanga in the Philippines. Continuing, our bus made a couple of stops um, along the way, including the beautiful town of Magdalena, um, where we stopped and had lunch. Um, after we crossed the international border right there in Nogales. We stopped to visit the church, and uh, they have a couple of small shops around the plaza there in Magdalena. There's a lot of history in uh, the small town, and this is supposedly where Father Kino's bones are are in a small shrine across the church plaza. There's a small shrine, a little area where you can actually see Father Kino supposedly buried, or you can see his bones right there towards that shrine which is kind of interesting little area to visit we had our lunch at a little spot over looking the uh, busy plaza there in Magdalena um, after lunch we all boarded the bus which was parked down the road little tiny little narrow roads there in Magdalena our bus could barely fit I really really got to hand it to our bus driver he would maneuver that bus through these tiny little roads there in Magdalena down the little roads and 
I'd swear the bus could barely, barely inches would come in within inches of little carts and other cars um, on the roadway. But we got through Magdalena safely and we headed down to our next stop, which will be uh, San Carlos, Mexico. San Carlos is one of the historical Yaqui lands. It's located near the Gulf of Mexico. So we arrived there in San Carlos towards the evening. We checked into our hotels and the kitchen crew was already ahead of us. So they um, they were down there maybe an hour or two earlier than the uh, community bus. And they were there busy um, cooking dinner for us. They were grilling hamburgers and hot dogs and they had a little cookout going on down at the uh, hotel area right there at the bottom towards the pier and we headed down there and they had a little music for entertainment for us it was a little time to kick back and enjoy our stay there in san carlos and i took some pictures of the um our trip and if you're interested in seeing a lot of those pictures they're on our instagram profile and i took a lot more on our twitter um, account which is called also called yaki strong and our Instagram is also the same Instagram uh, name is also Yaki Strong. So you can see a lot of pictures. I share those on those two accounts, Twitter and Instagram. So anyways, the pier in San Carlos has a gorgeous sunset. And you can see if you look out towards the west, it's behind the sacred um, Tetakawi Mountains, which means Teta means rock and Kawi, which means mountain in, in Yaki. Tetakawi is also known as Takalaim, which are sacred mountains that are, have features that are very visible, like those peaks uh, of Tetakawi there in San Carlos. And the Takalaim are called are very high forked mountains or peaks that have special uh, smaller mountains nearby, which are also referred to as part of the Takalaim and have the ability to communicate with each other and are also as I read, an entrance to the enchanted world, or the Yoanya. And I'll talk about that in another episode about the Yoanya, which is a magical place, an ancient place where the Surim, the little people, come from. And this is way before um, the arrival of the, the colonists and way before the current Yagis of today, the Yoanya. And I'll probably talk about that in another episode about Yaki beliefs and but that will come out in another episode so we stayed there in San Carlos had a really nice evening there and had our dinner and had a good night rest it's really really humid though so be prepared if you go towards that area and San Carlos but it's beautiful beautiful and it's a must visit if you're in that area to visit the uh, Tatakawi mountains there in San Carlos so after that, we uh, departed on the second day to Rio Yaqui. We left San Carlos. The next day, we started on our pilgrimage again to the Loma and Rio Yaqui. We made a few stops on our trip through Rio Yaqui, which included some of the Yaqui Pueblos, which was on our agenda. And the main focal points of each village was to uh, visit the churches in the Pueblos um, after all, this is a pilgrimage, and we did hold people, um, the sick, the weak, and the elderly, and actually the world in prayer every day, 
And the Father Seraphim led us in prayer every day as we departed as well. And he told us to hold these people in our prayer to think about them. And also the our relatives and our Yaqui people there in the villages as well. So our first stop was the Pueblo Apotam. And we pulled into a large open area in our bus in there in the church in Potam. And we only had about 30 minutes to visit the church there in the Pueblo of Potam. Enough time to take some pictures, you know, to take a reflect, you know, sit there by the church. And uh, also to chit chat, maybe share a couple of stories with the tour guides. The day was pretty hot. It was windy. I remember it was very, very dusty as well. Lots of dust. You had to cover your face with the, with the handkerchief, a little paño. And there was one thing unique about the church in, in Potom that I remember because there was a large cemetery that's located right in front of the church. The entrance, the cemetery was right in front of it, which is really unique, I believe, to this pueblo and to the other pueblos. I'm not sure if the other villages are situated that way, but it was really, really unique and really interesting. So I took a few pictures. I believe I shared one on our Instagram or Twitter page. You can check those out and like I said we only had about 30 minutes to stay we enough to take a few pictures stretch our legs and chit chat among the group and our guides and we headed back to our bus and loaded up again and we headed to our next stop which was uh, Vicom Switch and Vicom Switch that's where we stopped to have our lunch and also do a little bit of shopping Vicom Switch is kind of um it's a Yaqui Pueblo. It's part of um, the Pueblo of Vicam. Vicam Switch is an, sort of an offshoot of the Pueblo of Vicam. It's a sort of a shopping hub or eating hub right off the main freeway. And it grew out of an old railroad station that's located there. And hence the name Switch or Railroad Switch. Grew into the town that's there today and it's called Vicom Switch. So a lot of people started growing into that town, that railroad station area, and I enjoyed shopping there. So we grabbed a couple of tacos. We had our lunch there from one of the street vendors and we all headed back out across the street to look at some items. We stopped at one of the local stores there that's very popular and I picked up a couple of items. I got a really nice, um, I, I call it a yaki, long sleeve button down shirt you see many of the yaki men wearing around that area and the villages and the pueblos there and it was a really nice green colored with the little white buttons and i loved it i fell in love with it so i was ready i was set for tonight's fiesta i was excited to wear that our next stop was the pueblo of torim and torim means it's the plural word it's the plural form of the word rat. So Tori is rat and Torim is rats. So our desert rats. So the church in Torim is located. It's on top of a small little hill overlooking uh, Rio Yaqui facing Rio Yaqui. Marcelina, our tour guide, one of our tour guides tells us a story about a rock that's located at the edge of the river, the Rio Yaqui there where she states it um, bears the footprint of Jesus. So I want to play a little bit of, of her story. She uh, tells us as we make our way down into the into the river to Rio Yaqui for the first time. 
So the Chapayaca had heard about a man being over here talking to people. So they came down to check this man out, and they, but they were going to catch him. And he ran this way over to the water and jumped, stepped on the stone, and he jumped and came out through the to the other side where the other waters are at. And there's another stone where he landed, they said. His other foot landed other there. Foot. Wow, this is Rio Yaki, right? This is Rio Yaki. We live in the world of enchantment. Right. It's beautiful. Yes, That's why I say when we come down this way, the trees they sing. They watch. And there's another one on the other side. Oh, um, there's the water. Water is way over there. Oh, there's another river, or no, Masawa. Uh, kind of like towards uh, the beach, I think. Mm -hmm. Oh. Somewhere else. Uh -huh. Oh, okay. So that's another story told by one of our tour guides. It's a wonderful story about the uh, the imprint, the footprint that um, supposedly Jesus made on that rock, and also took pictures and video. If you're interested in uh, seeing some of those pictures in the video, I shared them on Instagram and I believe on a Twitter account as well of the uh, Rio Yaki when we made our our group hike down the small path that leads down to the river. And I had to touch the water and also the stone that was there with the footprint. And I had to touch the Rio Yaki. It was uh, really nice, very spiritual, uh, wonderful experience to to touch that water that's given life to our ancestors since since time immemorial and there's also that stone on the river's edge that was really 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 neat all of our group went down to the river and touched the stone and touched the water as well because water is life i was going to make an episode about the uh about the water situation in rio yaki um, about water is life because without water nothing would survive yes we see and hear um, about the terrible things that are currently happening in Rio Yaki and the what with the whole water rights situation that the Yaki's are being denied uh, water from the government that, that there's a dam built of course that blocks all of the water that once flowed through Rio Yaki to all the pueblos abundantly and now it's blocked by the government and there's big issues and a lot of uh, controversy with that going on. It's all over the news as well in the media about the terrible water um, situation or there is no water for the people there in the pueblos. Um, there isn't enough uh, clean water for them to drink that they would, uh, they would rather drink soda or alcohol um, as a means of hydration. Um, instead of the water, which there isn't any clean water there, which is causes other health problems and addictions like diabetes and alcoholism there in the Pueblos. Like I said, I was going to make an entire episode about the the uh, situation in Rio Yaki. I had a couple of guests um, that I contacted and talked to about um, being interviewed about the situation. But I felt um, I wouldn't have enough experience or knowledge on the topic and all of the politics, you know, going on in Rio Yaki, the demographics involved, the infrastructure or no infrastructure. There is, unfortunately, some corruption there going on and other underlying situations. And uh, 
I just didn't want to, you know, make a topic on the, the things going on there. Ryoyaki. Maybe later on, after I gain more um, insight and knowledge, I'll make an episode about things going on with Ryoyaki and the water situations there. But um, at this time, I'm not going to comment too much about it because there's a lot of things going on there with the water situation in uh, Ryoyaki right there in uh, Loma de Bakum and the other pueblos. And uh, some of the people in Facebook... Um, they saw a couple of uh, posts we put on our Facebook page about the there is no drinking water for the uh, our Yaki uh, people there in uh, the villages. Some of the people commented that why when I say why um, uh, we don't do anything about it. And when I when I say why we mean we as the tribe here in the U.S. do something to help the situation. I can't. I don't really have an answer. Um, maybe in a in a future episode I can uh, do a better podcast and maybe help to answer some of those questions but some of the things that people suggested were to help dig wells there maybe ship water containers and bottles to the villages there um, that don't have any drinking water maybe some other suggestions were to build some rainwater harvesting systems or build a large uh, communal water container type thing for each community but I don't know. I think a lot of those suggestions have some merit, but to implement them and execute them, that um, were the challenges. That's a huge challenge considering all the other situations that I mentioned uh, previously that's going on there. I mean, it, it the water, the for instance, the groundwater is just um, contaminated. It would take a lot of infrastructure to just to clean up that water and to to get any wells. And that would take years to complete. And considering the current situation, that's almost impossible to do right now. So I really don't have an answer. So those are some of my thoughts on the situation. And someone said that the Yaki people are strong, that they have survived genocide, slavery and all of the wars. And I think I believe they will continue to survive the current situations. And so we'll continue to pray for them, wish them the best, and uh, I'll leave it at that for now. And I believe the Yaki people are strong, and they always will be strong. So in the near future, I'll, I'll, I'll dedicate an entire episode to the water situation happening in um, Rio Yaki. <laughs> Okay, continuing off to Loma de Bakum. After a short rest in uh, Obregón, we stayed at Obregón, the city of Obregón, for one night, a couple nights. And after we rested for a few hours, we all changed. And we're excited to finally get to, to the city, to the pueblo of Loma de Bakum, our final destination. And Loma de Bakum is one of the ocho pueblos located there in Sonora, Mexico. And it's right next to the Rio Yaqui as well. We arrived at the church grounds. Um, it was around the evening. The sun was setting. Everyone grabbed our lawn chairs for the first time out from underneath the bus storage compartments. Made it over to the church grounds to claim our spot around the perimeter of the church grounds. 
when we got there, there were men making preparations um, in the center. This is one of the things I've noticed right away. There was like a huge metal and wooden structure in the center of the uh, church grounds. And it was it was made up of fireworks. So they were going to light this big firework structure and stand it up in the middle of the plaza, the middle of the church grounds there, and ignite it during the all-night fiesta. So that was really exciting to see the all of the men working on that big structure in the middle of the of the church grounds when we first got there. So all of the ceremonial activities they take place in and around the church grounds as all of the Ocho Pueblos are represented there at the Loma celebration. I won't go into much of the activities because of the sacredness, um, but basically all of the pueblos are represented at La Loma and they bring their image of the Virgin Mary um, to visit Elizabeth, her cousin, there at Loma, replaying or reenacting um, things that happen in the Bible. They present themselves at the church, and they're greeted there by the, the officials there at the Loma, and are welcomed to the Loma. And the Matachines and the altar societies, they begin their their dance, their ceremonies, and they sing, and they pray all night there at the fiesta that the, of the Virgen. In the morning, we make our way back to the fiesta where we witness the highlight of the fiesta when all of the Matachines dance around the maypole. It is one of the most beautiful and colorful sights you can witness. If you can imagine hundreds of Matachines dressed in their colorful costumes and regalia dancing an intricate dance around um, the maypoles full of colorful ribbons it's and there's hundreds of matachines and hundreds of ribbons and all of the ocho pueblos are represented and in the morning they all dancing it's an amazing sight to behold so it was a wonderful experience and since the yaki ceremonies are sacred and are not to be recorded in any way that's pretty much all i can say about the fiesta it's just a wonderful experience and I wish to experience it uh, again. Definitely, I'm going to go next year and hopefully every year after that. And um, hopefully every, anyone listening, um, hopefully they can experience the same thing we did because it's, it's, it's wonderful. It's a once-in-a-lifetime thing and hopefully we can uh, do it again. Definitely, I'll bring uh, my colleagues and maybe other guests next time and maybe we'll do a podcast on the road, which I wanted to do this time, but unfortunately it was it was a lot of things going on. It was our first time, so maybe the next time, next year we go, I'll actually bring my podcasting equipment and, and actually do some um, on-site interviews with some of the members there, uh, maybe even some of the elders, definitely for sure, and get some better um, um, recorded um, stories and um, instead of using my little iPhone, so hopefully that'll come next year. We can do that, so... So in closing, um, we were done after breakfast the next morning. We all boarded the bus, our good old bus. We had become used to it, and uh, uh, we all had our little areas where we loved sitting by the window or by the aisle, and it was a great little experience being on that bus for so many hours, but we were so ready to go back home to our families, and this time there was no stops on our bus on our trip back home except to eat lunch in uh, Santa Ana at a place called uh, Restaurant Elba. And Restaurant Elba is right there in Santa Ana, um, which we made our way over there. It took us a few, gosh, 
few hours, like maybe six hours or on the road or maybe more. But we made it to Santa Ana and we had our lunch. And restaurant Alba um, is highly recommended. I really liked it. Our whole group enjoyed the lunch there at, at restaurant Alba. It's in Santa Ana. So if you're ever near that area, check out that restaurant. It's really, really good. The food, their service was great. And they have enough room to accommodate a large surprise group like us of hungry hungry travelers. So it was a great experience there. I really like that restaurant. And also we had a bit of excitement on the way home. During our trip back home when we got near um, Santa Ana, one of the rear tires, it started um, unraveling. And it kind of fell apart and you can hear it um, towards where I was sitting, towards the back. And all of a sudden you can feel, you can smell the cabin. It started filling up with a burned rubber smell like we had a blowout. So we told the bus driver and he made a quick stop there in Santa Ana. And we all got down and we checked out one of the rear wheels. And yes, indeed, it had uh, separated the tread. Not all of it, partially separated the tread and it kind of came off into the in the interstate. And we, uh, the bus driver, he checked it out, you know, all the other tires were good. So we continued um, carefully. He decided to continue carefully along the route until we reached the U.S. border. And it was a good call because after all, we're tourists. We're traveling in a foreign country and there are always safety concerns wherever you travel. And, you know, you should take precautions, especially if you have these kind of problems and it was kind of late towards the night too the sun was going down so it was a good call to keep going until we reached the u.s border and so once across the border we had our tire serviced safely um in the u.s u.s side of nogales arizona and after it took only about 20 minutes we had enough time to to get down and grab a couple of sodas a couple of snacks right there at uh, circle k or one of the convenience stores as they changed our tire. It was really fast. It was really safe. We're in the U.S. now. We continued down the last leg of our journey down I-19 towards Nogales. It took us a little bit longer to to get home. It took us about three hours later. We were scheduled, but thank goodness we all arrived safely and thankful for a a wonderful experience. After uh, we got down on the bus, we were all happy. We all clapped. We congratulated the bus driver our tour guides everyone was super happy took a few pics and selfies with our new friends we made along the way and we all headed home to our families after a long trip from the city of Obregón all the way to Tucson and our community members all our other relatives still had another hour journey back to Guadalupe but they got there safely as well And that's all I can say for this episode. Thank you, everyone, for the continued support for the podcast. And we had a great journey, and I hope we can make the journey again. I hope you enjoyed this podcast, episode number 10. And thank you again for everyone for listening. Choco Desia. Don't